Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Kick the cane, it's time for Must Have Seen TV, the podcast dedicated to the sitcoms of the 20th century. From I Love Lucid and News Radio, I am your TV guide, Brett White, and I'm also a reporter-producer for Decider.com, and this week, I am joined by a writer with Botnik Studios, and also a co-host of the Rate and Subscribe podcast, Nat Townsend. Hello, Nat. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming by and venturing out to Queens. Well, it's very exciting to be this deep in Queens. Yeah, making that treacherous Brooklyn to Queens transit. I haven't been here, uh, I haven't been this deep into Queens since two days ago when a Lyft driver abducted me and drove me to Forest Hills instead <laughs> of South Brooklyn. Oh, that's, those are very different places. Yeah, so when I got here today, I was like, oh, I've been here. I've yeah. seen this place. Uh, yeah, but welcome to the podcast. I'm assuming that you are a sitcom uh, enjoyer oh, yeah. of some sort. Definitely. A... I know at one point we talked a lot about, what, Fernwood Tonight? Oh, yeah, I love that show. Uh, Fernwood Tonight and uh, America Tonight, which I think is the, the second season. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that was, that was the... Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman was the lead-in. Yes. And... It was all a spinoff, right? It was like a shared universe kind of thing? Sort of, yeah. And Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman started, and it was a... It was a daily sitcom. I mean, it was, it was like a soap opera, yeah. but but they, what was amazing about it was that it was produced so that it came out five times a week, and then they started doing Fernwood Tonight, which was Martin Mull's character and yeah. Fred Willard. And Great cast. Amazing, and they're so funny, and it is like, I think, largely improvised, or at least uh, skeleton scripted, but yeah. they're so good that it's it's everything has such a concise, like, premise and then and like a nice like little button punchline at the end of every bit and then they cut to commercials it's very funny and very subtle and i've never seen i have dvds of mary hartman mary hartman yeah but i've never seen uh anyone any release of fernwood tonight i had to download some of the the worst like triple encoded video <laughs> files that had been like crunched into like an avi and then get them into <laughs> other software format just so i could or other file format just so i could watch them but I think I actually tweeted at Fred Willard once, and I was like, "When are we getting that Fernwood Tonight DVD?" And he said, "Happen." I think it's hung up in some sort of rights issue. Like, probably, I, is it probably music rights? I, I, I don't even rights. remember them having yeah. specific music for the show, but he said there's some ownership or distribution thing that that is causing a problem with it. 
It could happen, just maybe. Preventing us from enjoying yeah. some peak Martin Mull. Oh, my God, yeah. I don't know, I think Clue is probably peak Martin Mull for me, but... Yeah. Um, anyway, in terms, in terms but of... But Martin Mull and Fred Willard of... uh, improvising five times a week is pretty That's incredible. That's all you want. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to do... Uh, I got listener mail, and I, in the nature oh, of the question, I think places it well right here. Mm-hmm. So, the listener mail, uh, at Mighty Scrub Lord on Twitter has asked, here's a question, Brent and whichever guest you have on, so that's you, you rolled the dice. Wow, I feel so, so personal that <laughs> yeah. they wanted my opinion, that's so nice. Yeah, uh, what was your first sitcom that you can remember? I'm assuming that means, like, which one did you watch first? Mm. Uh, so the, the one that was the real game changer for me, and that really, like, define the way that I watch TV was The Simpsons. I think okay. that was the show. It was not the first sitcom I remember, which I'll get to very shortly. But I think, you know, you were asking, am I a big sitcom guy? Because I know you love 70s, 80s, 90s sitcoms. Yes. Yeah. And I do too, but I also get very frustrated with the trappings of them. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I'm also a big fan of, of modern comedy television shows, I, I, especially ones that have had a little bit more freedom to break the mold. But I think that that comes from, I distinctly remember, 1993, my dad goes, hey, go turn on Channel 5. And I was like, okay. And he wasn't in the room. He's like, go, go turn that on. Just go see. And I sat there, and The Simpsons was on. And I was like, is this? I'd, I'd seen ads for it. I didn't Whoa. know what it was. And he was like, I was like, is this what you wanted to put on? And he was like, yeah. I think that's one of like the coolest moves that uh, my dad did in raising me. Because yeah. I watched it, and I didn't get what was going on at all. I didn't know who the characters were, but I thought it was so funny. And suddenly, the next day, I was part of a conversation at the lunch <sighs> table I hadn't been part of. And then I was immediately obsessed, down to the point where my brother and I would tell time based on how <laughs> how much time it was until The Simpsons would be on television. Oh, so man. pre or post or during. And that would drive our parents insane, of course. But I think the thing is, that drilled into me. I think The Simpsons is this really great middle ground between being genuinely sentimental. It's a, yes. it's like a show yeah, yeah, yeah. where what the characters do, at least, at least seasons like one through six, I would say, yeah. what happens to the characters does matter to you as you watch it. And there, there are real emotional moments with them. But it also is doing its absolute best to undermine the sitcom format right. and its absolute best to like make fun of those trappings and, and not get caught in them. And so I think that that being my defining sitcom has always, when I watch a show, like, I mean, we'll get into this with Frasier, but I, I've watched hundreds of episodes of Frasier at this point, I would yeah. say, because there are. Yeah. And and sometimes I'll be like, I hate this show. <laughs> it's like, really? Then why are you on season nine? Yeah. But, and the reason is because sometimes it's just like, oh, are we doing another gay panic episode? Are we doing another, like, oh, I, I know where this is going. Uh, but but that's at the same time, you know, some of those shows are really yeah. uh, amazing. And some of them, there's really great writing and, you know, it's writing to a form and there's, there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. But I just think that The Simpsons implanted in me a slight frustration with, you know, the writers of The Simpsons who are 20 years older than me, whatever they grew up watching and their frustrations. They're responding to that. Right. Yeah. They're, they're, they're responding to, like, annoying 70s sitcom tropes, yeah. but they trained me to be hyper-aware of them, I think. <laughs> Which is the exact opposite of my parents, who forbade me from watching The Simpsons, so I still never really watched it. Really? I've seen That's probably... A... I've seen dozens of episodes, but mm-hmm. I... You know, if you don't, I mean, I still do believe that if you don't love a thing when you mm-hmm. are under the age of 12, mm-hmm. you will never be able to form that intense of a bond. Like, you were always going to love The Simpsons more than I ever can. I think that that's probably true, but it's also because I was watching it as it was coming out. Exactly. And I was talking about the world as we knew it. You might actually enjoy it now as being like, whoa, this is 
like super early nineties yeah. like culture and, and it it definitely like a blast of a certain kind of sarcasm that isn't popular anymore. Right. And I think you might enjoy it like that. But I definitely think yeah, A, um, it didn't feel at all dated at the time. And watching, you know, we'd watch the episodes in syndication, but also the new ones every Sunday as they came out. And there being a new Simpsons episode was like an event. And it was like, what is it going to be about? Yeah. That, I feel like, is something that you won't have watching it. Yeah. But uh, I will say, I have rewatched that show from the beginning every few years since I started watching it. Not necessarily like started episode one, go all the yeah. way through, but I've, I've done deep dives every few years. And one thing that's really rewarding about that show is that literally every time I go back to an old episode I haven't seen in a long time, there are jokes in it that I didn't get, not when I was a kid, but the last time I watched that's it. That's good. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's nice. a thing that I think would make you, you'd go, wow, this is dense. There'd be a lot of references that you'd get that I wouldn't right, get, yeah. stuff like that. Should, yeah, I need to, we'll do it on the show at some mm -hmm. point. Um, my first sitcom is the exact opposite, because I, I did a little bit of research trying to figure out when my first one was, which my... And I know I started watching TV for real in the 91-92 TV season. Okay. Because I remember I watched... I know I watched Home Improvement from the beginning, and I watched TGIF after Full House had moved off of it. Like, I never okay. watched TGIF uh, with Full House. So, and that is the 1991 fall TV season. Yeah, so, so I think you got in a, a year or two earlier than I did. I distinctly remember... So before The Simpsons, I watched Full House, because I think it was inane enough that my yeah. family was like, I don't have to watch over his shoulder. They're never going to say They're anything challenging on this show. On this show. It's not going to be like an abortion episode no. of Full House or anything. Like, a, a, someone skinned their knee and someone else was mean to them about it. Like, <laughs> he can handle it. this. Yeah. You know, that was a show that you could put your kids in front of and uh, and not worry about it. But little things like that. and But I never was like really into, I never really followed no. a show but I will say that my mom was really into Roseanne yeah. and The Wonder Years. Okay. So before, before The Simpsons, was that was like my show. Those were shows oh, that yeah. I got to watch with her. And they both have like a little window into a version of America that I wasn't really familiar with. And so they were really fascinating to me. I probably... So I, I looked also like... Clarissa Explains It All and Salute Your Shorts also debuted in 91. So 91 is like this watershed year for me in television. Mm -hmm. But then uh, Hey Dude debuted in 89, and I watched Hey Dude on Nickelodeon. So that might be my oh. first sitcom. But then thinking about that, thinking about what you just said about your parents watching, I know I watched Golden Girls and I Love Lucy with mm -hmm. my mom. So also those might be other contenders for my first sitcom. Because I was obsessed with Nick at Night. For as long as I can remember, oh, which is yeah. why this I podcast mean, exists. I definitely... <laughs> see, that's the thing. I think it's a different experience. That's why I gave multiple answers answers to this well, question. Well, there's, like, w like the first one that I, like, legit loved, loved, and was obsessed with, like, in a mature intellectual way is probably Friends. Like, I was in, the, was in fifth grade, so I was ten. I was ten when Friends came out. So I think, like, ten when Friends starts is, like, mm -hmm. a perfect age of, like, mm -hmm. this is what I think adults are like. <laughs> this is... I don't uh, understand how money works. Yeah. Uh, this is, diversity you know, is not going to become important to me for a while. But it was, uh, like, to be 10 and watching a show where they were, like, having sex and talking about sex. Right, and at right. 10, you're more aware of kind of what sex might be than you are when you're, like, 6, mm -hmm. when I was watching Full House. So there was a little bit of a different... Like, I think Friends was the first show that... I, I bought the soundtrack. I had a Friends t-shirt that I wore in 6th wow. grade one day, and all the other guys said that that was a girl show, so I never wore it again because masculinity is a prison, you little shit. Like. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a thing. Like in my school, you either liked The Simpsons or Friends. And I, if I look back, I think it was most of the girls liked Friends, most of the boys liked The Simpsons. But there is still a part of me, 
uh, like my brother's girlfriend, it's her favorite show. Yeah. And I'm like, she's fantastic. I love her. And there's still a little part of me in the back of my head that's just like, but it's not that funny, right? Like, you're, The Simpsons is better, right? Like, but there's oh, something yeah. wrong with apples you and because oranges. you like apples and oranges. No, there's. I'm just saying, I have this in, <laughs> yeah, ingrained suspicion of anyone who loves Friends, which is totally <laughs> irrational. But because there's a part of me at age nine that was like, but The Simpsons is for people who are really smart. Yeah, and it's funny. hard to. Ki- it, I mean, like, I will get into this. Uh, well, yeah, let's go on and get into this. Um, this week we're traveling to October eighth, nineteen ninety eight. Ants rolled the box office. I don't want to miss a thing by Aerosmith top the charts and NBC Ugh. aired the Frasier episode Dial M for Martin Nat. You must have seen Dial M for Martin before today. Uh, I saw it yesterday and a little bit also this morning. I've watched this episode three times in the past 24 hours. <laughs> Two and a half times, which yeah. makes me feel a little insane. But I did also see this episode uh, in my great Frasier from the beginning watch now, through. I don't think, think I'd ever seen it on, on TV. Did though. you watch... When did, did you discover Frasier through a massive rewatch? Uh, that's how I got really into it. I had seen occasional episodes of it. Of my Actually, my grandmother watched it occasionally. Oh, wow. I, I remember her saying, oh, this show's pretty good. They say it's the smartest show on TV or something. And then we watched it, and I didn't really get it. Yeah. Uh, I, it was probably an early season. I was at my grandparents' house. I remember this. And I was probably... Uh, especially earlier on, I feel like it, they're much denser with the high culture references. Yeah, and it think... gets a lot more farcical yeah. as it goes on. But still, while like trying to balance the farce and the high culture well, references. Yeah, it, well, it gets it. a little more screwball as yes. it goes on, I think. Yeah. Like, like, it's like definitely this farcic- yeah. specifically. <laughs> yeah, this one, and we'll get into that. I, I think <laughs> there's definitely trappings in the first season of Frasier that I'm glad they do away with. Like, uh... Daphne's psychic visions uh, is like, all right, you're really going to keep talking about that. There's a few things in there that I think they get past and it actually is for the better with the show. Right. But I also think that it's a lot more naturalistic early on. Uh-huh. Um, the, the the struggle between Frasier and Martin being the central tension of the show uh, is very real Oof. in the first season. Yes. Um, but I'm sorry, but to answer your question, I'd seen spot episodes as a kid, didn't really get it, but I like, I kind of like the tone of it. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I've never seen a show that looks like this, but never got into it on my own until it, probably in the past three or four years. I'd seen, you know, I was somewhere where I didn't have uh, my Chromecast plugged in or whatever. <laughs> Someone's house who had, had cable and ended up watching random episodes yeah. of Frasier and I forget exactly what got me into it, but then um, started. Uh, my girlfriend and I started at the beginning watching. Which is a task. Yeah, I did that last. Oh wait, I'm sorry. Was I had it... to amend my story. I know what got me into watching it, which was that I was looking for Christmas episodes of uh, TV shows to watch. And this one has some great ones. Yeah, and that's one of a my lot Christ- of great my ones, Christmas actually. tradition is in the month or so leading up. This is my adult Christmas tradition, yeah. not my family's. I watch Christmas movies and specifically Christmas sitcom episodes, yep. Yep. I, which I personally really love. And I hadn't seen much Frasier, but I knew that it had a couple. And I watched. There are at least three really strong. Frasier Grinch is probably my favorite, where mm-hmm. he has to buy the action figure for his son who because he wants like a laser robo geek or whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's not it get, something that. But that it ends Frasier with this, would buy for this really intense father son moment of like you have to get gifts they want and not gifts you want them to want. Right, and right. It gets to the it cuts to this core of like what Frasier and Martin and 
him having to like buy gifts for a son he doesn't understand and it was like this is too real it's which is so good the yeah because i so i did a fraser episode me and uh winston noel talked about the episode the oh, innkeepers yeah, uh the innkeepers were fraser and niles buy a restaurant for only one oh episode. yeah and then it's just gone after yeah, that and it's yeah. also yeah that whole it's episode. another it's like a season two but it's like one of the goofiest episodes and it's pretty delightful and like a year maybe passes in the course of that episode yeah, it's, it's unclear what's going uh, on so we talk about that i think that's like that's one of the first episodes so definitely go back and listen to that um so like my truncated history with frazier because i get into it more in that one is that i did not watch his show as a child as a child 10 year old or whatever uh because i'm from the south and we are anti-intellectual and this show like marketed itself as like the intellectual sitcom and mm-hmm. so that like southern like well i don't like that i like friends like that mm-hmm. you know that played into it and then the fact that it won the emmy every year for its first i think five years oh you were mad at it because i, cause I loved me some award shows and the fact that it kept beating friends and seinfeld which are the shows that as a middle schooler mm-hmm. i was obsessed with mm-hmm. i love friends and seinfeld and i just i hated it and but when it hit its 100 episodes and mm-hmm. got into syndication i would then i've seen you know those first 100 episodes mm-hmm. a lot just through it being on at like you know five o'clock on fox or whatever I but, will say, by the way, that that in my New York City middle school, Seinfeld was all on the cool side of that was the Simpsons side. You were yeah. allowed to like Seinfeld and you like <laughs> yeah. the Simpsons, but only certain people's parents would let them watch Seinfeld because that oh, was a little bit weird. That was a little more explicitly pa- about sex. I think it's it was, like, like my parents would not let me watch the Simpsons, but they were like, I guess also the Simpsons came out when I was a child, and mm-hmm. I think my my parents felt because remember them saying like just because it's a cartoon doesn't mean you can watch it. Yeah, parents didn't know what to do with it. It was weird. It was like, I think The Simpsons was more dangerous than those yes, other shows. It's like, partially because they didn't know what it was. You, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I discovered... It was more subversive, too. I, you know, being an adult and getting... Like, having Netflix where Frasier is just around. I mean, it's on mm-hmm. Amazon, Hulu, and Netflix. Like, they... And I think it also might be on CBS All Access. Like, yeah, the so rights take your dad's this, password and put it into any of those it's services. Like everywhere. So you end up watching Frasier. And then after the election, Frasier was like the third sitcom. I was like, I'm going to watch every episode of this. And we watched all 11 seasons in a month. Oh, my God. Uh, like, there were some Saturdays where I would watch, like, a season. I, I mean, that was a rough month. I would watch, like, a was, uh... Yeah. Yeah, yeah fact... that's around the time when I watched a lot of it, yeah. too. Yeah, and the reason that it hit me so hard is the Frasier and Martin relationship, which a couple episodes back when I addressed John Mahoney's passing, uh, I got into it about how, like, it is very personal to me. Like, mm-hmm. that father-son dynamic, it... I... It was an emotionally fraught time after the election, and then I watching Frasier, yeah. where it's like a high farce, but then out of sometimes out of nowhere, an episode will take a hard turn, yeah. and all of a sudden it is like super sincere and about like deep father son issues. Well, do you remember that one where they have a costume party yes. dresses your hero and Niles yep. dresses as Martin, and it just ends with Martin angry yep. at him? Because, because like, no how dare you think line. I would ever be ashamed of you? Yeah, and that's, it doesn't get resolved. I mean, like it, there's no, like a just, joke at the end of it. They like. Because uh, Martin or Fraser's trying to take off the wig, and all the kids are like, "He eats brains." Oh, right, right, yeah. But the, the Martin the, plotline doesn't get resolved. He yeah, like, lays and down that's the wall. major por- like the the Fraser thing that comes back is like a it's just a callback joke. It's not yeah. like the major plotline. <laughs> so like, it's really resonant. Uh, but yeah, let's move on to this week. I must have seen TV. We're going to be talking about the Fraser episode. Dial in for Martin. It is the third episode of season six, and was written by Rob Greenberg and directed by Ken Lampkin. Here's how Netflix describes the episode. Niles isn't too thrilled at the prospect of his father moving in until he realizes that Daphne is part of the package. Nat, how accurate 
is that description? I would say, especially given the extremely relative scale of how good Netflix episode descriptions are, that that's a that's a solid description yeah. of. of the At least motivating... the first half, like the mo- motivation. Yeah, that is definitely, and we'll, we can get into this. This episode has almost a second plot that comes in much later than most sitcom. It, it, it heightens. It heightens so extremely that it becomes. It's like a worthy, new A plot. It becomes worthy of its own Netflix separate description. Yeah, in a way. But I will say, in general, sometimes these Netflix descriptions do not. They do not have the inciting incident in no. them. They do not necessarily <laughs> name the characters who are at play. So no. I would say to whatever um, deeply underpaid 22-year-old who wrote episode descriptions for 200-something episodes of <laughs> Frasier, good job with this yeah. one. Good. Uh, so I, so we, we can go linearly if we want to. We can also sure. just talk around it. Because basically what I realized while watching this episode again is that this episode contains my three biggest Frasier questions. Okay. Um, so, I think it has my three biggest Frasier pet peeves in it, but also <laughs> I think I know what your questions, at so least my, two of them my are. My number one question is... Can I guess? Oh, how big is Frasier's apartment? Because <laughs> it's a thing that comes up every now and then, but this one, since this one is all about... So, like, Frasier... Oh, man. Actually, maybe I should start with the other question. So let's, let's <laughs> go back. There's a lot to unpack There's here. a lot. So the whole impetus for the thing, the reason that Frasier and Martin are, are butting heads like six seasons into the show is because Frasier is newly jobless. He lost his job at the end of season five. And this is like towards, this is like early season six. So he's still unemployed. And so is Roz. Right. They fired off the whole staff at KCL. Yeah. And replace so, them with a Spanish language, <laughs> questionably racially sensitive Spanish language format so station. I get so like they're butting heads because Frazier's home all the time. So my bigger question, I guess, we'll start with this one. So you already know one of my questions. My mm. other big question is, how much money does Frazier have? Which I guess is tied into the fact of how can he afford this huge apartment that overlooks the Space Needle, a view that is actually physically impossible that uh, people have discovered through going to Seattle oh, and trying really? to read. Like that view is like from a mountain, so like I it doesn't see. exist. But it's like, how much money does he have? Because I remember specifically being like, he never in the early part of season six is concerned about making more money, getting a new job, paying any bills. Like, he looks like a trash person in the season premiere. Like, he's wearing sweats and hasn't shaved. But after that, he's fine. <laughs> he's never in any any severe, uh, like, financial distress. No. And so then I again, think, like, it's yeah, so- all so expensive. <laughs> So th- these are two questions rolled into one that have to deal with the plot. How big is that apartment that he can afford it? And also, why isn't he worried about money? So I've thought about this a lot. And I think that's, you know, a, that's a major sitcom question. Uh, you want to talk about Friends. One of, the reasons, yeah. one of the reasons I can't get into Friends is I grew up in New York. And I'm like, none of these people can afford anything. Their lifestyle is impossible. <laughs> I the mean, apartment is rent control. Yes. Which they established, they established in the series finale. Oh, really? Is that late? Yeah. I remember in How I Met Your Mother, it's like season four, where they're like, we lucked into this rent-controlled apartment. Who's yeah. going to keep it? And I was like, oh, I man, do, they knew people were annoyed is, with this that. This is tangential, but I, do, I, I firmly believe Chandler and Joey's apartment is realistic. It is just bigger because it has to be bigger for like cameras to move around. Right, right. But I, mean, a, I think that's always the problem. Is a, Apartments a are going to look bigger because they have to be set. But anyways, Frazier's apartment, like I've seen blueprints online. Mm-hmm. 
And first of all, it is shaped like a crazy, like, bunch of Tetris pieces on top of each other. It is very weird the way the hallways go off in different directions. Yeah. Some condos buildings are weird like that, though, because people want to have more windows, or they want to have more space. So that, like, they knock down walls. I don't know. Anyway. So the, Fraser has a bedroom, Daphne has a bedroom, Martin has a bedroom. That's three. Yes. But then I think... And we he... don't see either Daphne's or Martin's until season it's six. Way or, yeah. It's way later. Because okay, anytime they add a new set on Fraser, I'm like, <gasps> ooh, yeah, what's this? Well, but then there's also, he has an office, too, apparently. Because there's an episode where he says, put that in my office. And I'm like, "You, ha- it's a four-bedroom? Well, okay. So in season nine, uh, Daphne discovers when a some sort of repairman or someone comes that other people... Oh, Cam Winston upstairs has a washer-dryer in his apartment that starts leaking down into Fraser's apartment. Daphne has been led to believe that they are not allowed to have in-apartment uh, washer-dryers. And she's been doing all the all the laundry in yeah. the basement. And then the, the, the repairman, whoever comes, is like... Oh yeah, you got a hookup in that room where you keep all your hats. And she, Daphne makes some crack about like, oh, I'm sorry, we, you know, I couldn't do laundry because we had to have a hat museum. So there's like another room <laughs> that Fraser just keeps his stuff in. There's a room where he has the tape of every episode, but I think that's his bedroom. It's oh, just he has the yeah. cabinet in his yes. bedroom yeah, 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 where yeah. he has the tape I of every episode. He maybe has an office. That could be like a hall, a nook in the hall yes. where he's hanging all the hats or whatever. Oh. But there's a lot of space that we haven't even seen. It's really. also like the tiniest kitchen, comparatively. I, uh, that but that a... introduces another of my absolute well, no... favorite Fraser devices, which is that you, you can't hear anyone in the kitchen. Right, because there's no it's wall. so open, even... and then one of the walls is a two-way bookshelf that you can see through. Yes. <laughs> there's zero sound baffling. But I actually just... think there is more kitchen where the camera is positioned, because there's like a island. But right, because it comes from one side of there's the another. There's the other side of the island that we never see. Yeah, but well, that's any... the weird three-camera sitcom thing, which is you have to piece together what you think a room looks yeah. like based on two-thirds to three-quarters of it. my third question, which is also part of this, is Daphne's job. That was what I was going to guess. What is Daphne's job? Because, so like, and I, when I did my Fraser rewatch, I put all these questions on Facebook and people like hashed it out. Like one of my friends was like, here is, who worked in radio, is like, here is the starting rate of a disc jockey in a Mm -hmm. like big market. And it was like, none of this makes sense. Um, but like Daphne is the physical therapist. She's a living physical therapist. Are we going to address how much money Fraser has? <laughs> how do you have a guess? Okay, so here's here's my theory on this because uh, I've thought about this a lot, and I was going to say being able to afford apartments in sitcoms never makes sense. And yeah. you're right; part of it is the thing that in order to shoot in a place, you have to make it look even bigger than yeah. the usable space, and therefore double everything, and therefore it's going to look too big. Um, but they address Fraser's wealth a number of times in the show, and I'm, I'm I don't think that it's necessary necessarily realistic, but I think that there are some things that we can take away from it. Um, Frasier and Niles' mother is wealthy. Uh, oh, right. That's one of the things that, that we forget, is that Martin is the outlier in the family. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole big thing about how his mother was high class, but she never made Martin feel low class. He says that very... Yeah. He's like, that's the classy thing to do, is you never once make people feel different. And he talks about dating their mother and feeling out of place. Right. So this is like has been a sort of cross-class romance. We know that Fraser and Niles grow up the way that they grow up because of their mom. Right. They're not just these weird... We see them as, like, eight-year-olds. Hester Crane. Yeah. And we, we see them as eight-year-olds, and they're wearing blazers to yeah, school and tie. <laughs> they're into opera. Like, all the stuff they're into now, they've always been into. And if you're being realistic about that, 
that is because they were raised with not only the financial ability to that, but someone who is in that culture. Because right. someone who's new money would not raise their kids to like opera. No. So their mother is from a wealthy family right. line. Right, Well, whatever her maiden name was. Right. Was, that's a rich family. And she was a doctor also. Right. <laughs> so I think a geneticist, I believe. Oh, she's ah. ex- I forget exactly, but she was uh, maybe some sort of behavioral psychologist, actually, because she's experimenting on rats that were named Niles and Fraser. we learn at one point. <laughs> so she is at least a research scientist. She's not, uh, you know, she's making decent money, right. obviously. She has ancestral wealth. They both grow up high class, so like culturally speaking. But another thing that we see early on in the show is that Niles is wealthier than Fraser. Yeah, because he... Significantly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, Niles' apartment is so much bigger than Fraser. Which we see in like when... Because the, re- the main reason... So, like, to, to talk about the plot a little bit, uh, so... Oh, yeah, this episode. Yeah, uh... Basically, Martin has like lunch with Roz, mm-hmm. who's who's a little bit who's sweating it a little bit more, not having a job, like because right. she's a normal person, uh, and she brings up like, well, why don't you? Well, maybe you need to take a little break from each other. Have you ever thought about, well, I don't know, staying with Niles for a while? <laughs> Out of the frying pan into the fire, huh? <laughs> Which is also kind of her like nice way to dig and like screw over Niles because Niles and Roz have a rivalry, a little bit of a really no reason ever is established for that aside also. from just. Yeah, this is what we talked about. They're on just my, two personalities that yeah, are very different. On my previous Frasier episode, of just like a lot of the personality of Roz is a lot of tell don't show because mm. a lot of people talk about how like she's such a slut and so easy, but like mm. no, not really. You never see her with that many men. Like Frasier is the one who is a yeah. like creepy oversexed person. Yeah, and but he's also not as good at it. It no. seems like like Roz just seems like a normal person. It is a thing that makes me a little, yeah, uncomfortable on the show. Like, looking back, like, Roz is much closer to, like, adult women I know now yeah. who have, like, a healthy relationship with their own sexuality that doesn't feel desperate but feels active and, like, yeah. and, now, and she's, like, sex positive and she's not, like... Fun of her. Yeah, and, and, I mean, I think this is a tough thing with Frasier where I feel like if you look at it, at that Frasier and Niles are always supposed to be the butt of the joke. They're yes. always wrong. Yeah, I think yeah. I think the show gives them a little too many, and it's because they're the protagonists, but I think they get a, a few too many wins. Right. Because then it makes you think that their way is right. Like, they get a dig in on Roz that works too well, or whatever. Yeah. It's little things like that. If you play the, like, homophobia, like the gay panic episodes, that, which, I, as I've said, there are too many for me. Um... <laughs> But if you play those, and I've heard David Hyde Pierce say this in interviews where he's like, the whole point was to make fun of homophobia, was to make fun of how, how um, you know, these characters who are, you know, might read as gay to other yeah, people yeah. also, like, were so full of themselves, or so so uh, unself-aware, or, or not even unself-aware, but are just so paranoid that, like, that it's, it's mocking their homophobia. I don't know that that always works for me. And the slut-shaming Roz part... Does not always really work for not. me because she, she usually sticks up for herself, but the show doesn't do a good enough job of being like, and she's the one who's right. And yeah, Frasier exactly. sucks. She doesn't get enough plot lines on her own that really make her as like formidable of a character. Like I feel like through, throughout all eleven seasons, the show is always still trying to figure out ways to bring. Like in this episode, there is no radio scene. They don't have a job, so it's like, well, Martin has to be. Martin is friends with her. Like they do relate. Like they are more mm-hmm. like on a class level. Like they are kind of on equal playing field. Mm-hmm. Uh, they see each other in themselves, which is why they meet up at the coffee shop. Um, and then there's this great, like, I really love the structure of this episode. So there's a lot of like layers and people screwing each other over. Uh, where so Roz tells Martin you should move in with Niles because and you won't be with Fraser and Maris is gone and Maris didn't want you there. 
And then when Niles comes, he's like, absolutely not. Oh, no, you have Eddie. We can't. We don't have room for dogs. No, oh, no, 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 no. And then Martin is like, we'll have to find a place with me and Eddie and Daphne. Okay, so then Niles is like, well, well, I'll talk to the landlord because he wants to, you know, basically entrap Daphne in his apartment 24-7. But then as soon Yeah, which as a romantic plan does not actually seem like the best course yeah. of action, but that is not Have addressed. We, so then the the thing I love about this is so, like, Niles is like, yes, you can move in because Daphne can come. But then because Niles' apartment has stairs, it's a two-level apartment, mm. which we've seen Niles' apartment before this, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So that... So, I love that, because then that makes Daphne think, well... Wait a minute. I was hired as Mr. Crane's physical therapist. And if he can make it up and down that staircase of yours, he really doesn't need full-time care anymore. This is hard for me to say, but maybe it's time I moved on. And therefore, like... It all falls apart. Like, I yeah. love, like, the layers of... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, the one thing forces the next, forces the next. And that, that brings up two things. One, quickly, back on Niles and, and Fraser's money, when Niles and Maris start break up, breaking up, Maris freezes Niles' accounts, and yes. all of a sudden he has no spending money. He still has the apartment yeah. and all the nice things, but he well, can't he go to the wine club. he has to move into club. that shitty apartment for a little while. Oh, he does, while. right? Yeah. He doesn't even have the apartment. And so, and there's even an episode where Fraser really bluntly asks him, did you marry Maris for her money? Yeah. And Niles kind of won't answer him about it. And I think there is part of the implication there is that they grew up accustomed to wealth and this like really ritzy upper crust. Like Niles sees Frazier as slumming it by being on yeah. the radio. Like by yeah. not being, but like, well, Niles, but I mean, the other thing is like Niles has run a, I think we have to understand that before the show started, they've both been running psychiatric practices before Frazier's on the radio, he's right. a psychiatrist. They've been making very good money for a long time. Yeah, but I think that like, Niles... Frazier was, like, making all that money in Boston, which is, like, yeah, it's a big city. So. Right, right. And Niles, I think, has just been consistently making a ton yeah. of money for a long time. Because we see his office time. later on, and it yeah. gets fucking nice. And he has wealthy like, clients. Yeah, like, he's, so he's he is a, not just a psychiatrist. He's, like, a upper <laughs> a upper tier psychiatrist. There's a moment in this scene that we that I want to really point out where there's this really great aside, which I think is talking to how Frazier is kind of can be aware of its history mm-hmm. and its context, mm-hmm. which making a plot hitch upon the fact that Niles' apartment is two stories, a thing we already knew. That's right. super cool. Another part is when Roz has this aside when she's talking to Martin. She's like, you know what? I just thought of something. For a while there, your daughters-in-law were Maris and Lilla. <laughs> Whoa, happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. And I love, like, that joke is like, that's not a part of any game. That's not a part of a plot. It is just the kind yeah, of... Throw- I thought that was so odd, where it's just like, they had the character realize this thing that's yeah, always been part of the reality. I feel like it's definitely the writer of the episode writing that scene was like, realizing, like, oh, wait, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, Martin would hate that. It's so funny, because it's like a two or three line <laughs> interjection into that scene, and then the whole part about Martin moving in with Niles, yeah. gets, like, resumes. But it's so funny, because we just don't... They just they just go oh by the way yeah I really I love that line you're right that must have been like a writer being like hey wait a minute we Martin's, haven't addressed this yeah. either like Fr- Fraser and Niles have uh, extreme taste in women yeah <laughs> uh, so funny. well it's also weird to think like well there was probably a Thanksgiving where it was Maris and uh, Diane there right yeah yeah because uh, do we meet any of the Fraser characters other than Lilith in Cheers or do we do we ever see any of the extended family no, no well I mean John Mahoney has a guest spot in Cheers but he's playing like a traveling like piano singer. oh he's not the no he's a so different character th- they were all cast with uh, Fraser season one yes and I also yeah. think that Perry Gilpin appears on really? Cheers later on as just like another character Perry Gilpin and follows also, me on Twitter just, ooh, just, just, to, just to brag ooh, I'm B.B. Newworth for that matter 
Oh, these uh, are recent developments. But but I will say, so that <laughs> I think that the fact that when they were writing Cheers, we knew about uh, Lilith. Yeah. But then they've introduced the invisible Maris and yeah. and and like retroactively added that to the history. I like, feel like that's these... the writer being like, oh wait, now that we've added all this history to Fraser's character, that means that there was a point when yeah. those were his two. Like Which you're is, right, they're a, figuring it out. That and, is an amazing like lost episode that I just uh. Yeah, they just kind of like retcon that in there. Because Cheers only ever did two Thanksgiving episodes. So there are seasons of Cheers. Like late, he's up, late in the Lilith. show, right? Uh, one is in season, it's Thanksgiving Orphans, which I did in the podcast, which I think is season five. Okay, yeah. Because so it's, it's that cast. It's my favorite cast. The cast that I, I have a poster of. It's the Diane Woody. Era. For the home listener, Je- uh, Brett is gesturing to his sitcom corner. Yeah. <laughs> um, the large Cheers poster. So then we get the scene of uh, when. When Martin is moving in to Niles' apartment, mm-hmm. um, and it's you know it's it's moving day, mm-hmm. Fraser shows up to gloat. the The scene opens up with Eddie doing like circles on it's so good Niles's uh, uh, din- di- dinner table. <laughs> yeah, and I just a brief aside there. We were talking about this earlier off mic, but. Where did they find this dog? Yeah, like, moose, I, oh, moose, you're so good, moose. Eight sister. <laughs> It's just so funny because, you know, all you ever want to say about a dog is like, what a good boy. Yeah. But, like, you're watching this show and you're like, wow, what a good boy. Yeah. What a, good, what a green act. What a like, great little actor. He, it's so, I mean, obviously, there are times when they say, like, Eddie, and then they cut and you can tell that, you know, he's not reacting to the actor. He's reacting to the yeah. trainer or something just off camera. But there are so many things in that show where you watch and you're like, wow, the dog did... did within one shot, multiple complex actions. Yes, or like, yeah. Oh, he stood on his hind legs... And then he went over, and then he wiped his feet on yeah. Fraser's, you know, frock or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> like that's something that's, in, you know, his kimono has got mud on it now. And, and but he was like, how did they? Like that's all one take. How did they get the dog to I, do? I love it. He's so uh, he's so well trained. It's really impressive. When, and it's the same dog for all eleven seasons. Well, so. for the first like ten, Moose's son comes on for like the last season and a half because really? I mean, like ten years that's, is a long time for a dog. Yeah, that's amazing. Because Eddie all Moose was not a puppy when it started either. No, he's a, he's the same size though. So. So there's like I think in seasons ten and eleven, oh I can't remember what what Moose's son's name is. Um, I did a lot of research on this when I got to those later seasons. Well, so yeah, like for the complex example. stunts, I think the the young oh um oh it's like Gizmo or Zemo. No, it's not Zemo. <laughs> this is very important. I it's say. not. Oh, it's whatever. But I think for it's like half of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes around. Um, so Fraser comes over and he brings a squeaky toy. Like he forgot. Like he comes over with like. I feel like what Niles is super happy because Daphne's gonna be there. He's still like trying to hold on to that. By this point, though, she's not. No, she hasn't found a job yet. She's like she's called an employment agency. Yeah, and she's and and there's like a phone call at the beginning of the scene where she's like, not even part time therapy. All you know, very demonstrative one half of a phone call. But yeah. like, <laughs> but like, okay, well, I guess I'll hang in there. And Niles is like hiding his his pleasure at He's the fact that he's trying to she's... like hold on to that joy. Right. And then Fraser comes and squashes it by bringing right. Eddie's squeaky toy and also Martin's chair. Right. So wait. So I have two questions here. One is that <laughs> first of all, this raises this connects to your third major Fraser question, yes. which is what is Daphne's job? Is she looking for other places to literally live? It's really it's not clear. All, well, also the fact that she works, she got this job through an employment agency also. Right. So is the paired, employment agency fine with her having the same job for six years? 
Also, the other thing, because, like, Daphne... That's we, not even the most major question. No, we also see, like, Daphne does Frasier's laundry. She makes them breakfast. And makes them food. And they complain about it all the time, how bad her, her cooking job. is. Someone, like, you know, headcanoned that, okay, well, maybe in addition to her salary, she's also living there rent-free. Like, maybe, yeah. like, Frasier's, like, paying her in the fact that, like, you get to, like, live in this mansion apartment... <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I guess all... there's... So, okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> so much. They say explicitly in this episode that she is... She says, I'm your dad's physical therapist, right? Yes. And they don't say that very often. They only say no. it when it's necessary to the plot, but most... Rarely, you rarely see her working with him, physical occasionally therapy. Occasionally they do she that. She says... Oh, well, no, uh, when... She's, like, telling Fraser like, oh, he's, like... There's something to set up the fact that Martin, like, chases Eddie into the kitchen around the table and says, oh, I gotta go for your speed walking, Eddie. Oh, like, well, no, it's Niles saying, being like, I don't know how Dad's going to manage without you. He doesn't need me anymore. Nonsense. I know he puts on a brave front, but the plain truth is the man is practically an invalid. All right, come back here. <laughs> What's he got now? Oh, my snake. You give me that back or I'm not taking you for your speed walk. <laughs> you know, one of those, one of those on-screen sitcom irony gags. Yeah. But, but we never see her actually doing physical therapy exercises with him. It's there are, like, in other episodes, you do see Twice a it. season. Two, but, three times a season. Well, that's the thing. I think functionally, they were like, we need a... She's a maid. She's help. She's living help. The thing... The, the weird thing about it is, it's not uncommon, like, say, with elder care, for uh, someone to have a live-in aide who is a physical therapist, but also helps them with things around the house that they can't yeah. do for themselves. So if their laundry's in the basement, they can't, you know, they have a hard time walking downstairs. do. Right, they do that kind of thing. I mean, they, they, have an, do, they have an elevator. Like harder. But, yeah. have an elevator. But, but Fraser could. Fraser could, and she lives with Fraser. So, I mean, it only kind of makes sense. Like, she could be, and they say physical therapist, not aid or elder care. Yeah. But she could theoretically be elder care and therefore helping him. But the functional way that she exists in the vast majority of episodes is that she is a maid. She yeah. makes, she does their laundry, she cleans, yeah. and she makes breakfast and sometimes other meals. Yes. So that is not within the purview of elder care, especially because she's like cooking for sometimes five people. Like yeah. it's not just for, you know, if Martin needs like special say, medical meals or something, but it's not. I always try and justify it of like, because it is within Daphne's character, because Daphne is a pleasant nice, kind of, like, eager-to-please-ish character. Right. So I could see, if she is making Martin some, like, toast, I could see that Daphne as character be like, of course I'm also going to make Fraser toast. Mm. I like him. My headcanon, I'm living here for free. But they demand things of her all the time <laughs> yeah, and, and are very rude at how bad she is at yeah. cooking. <laughs> I will say, li people have live-in aides, and it's not like... There's no... You just get paid, and you have a place to stay. Yeah. It's not like, and I'll do other stuff in exchange for having to live in your ho house. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I would say it's a very strange... Uh, it's strange that they really never acknowledge that arrangement. So, 11 minutes into the episode, we get the turn. So, like, at this whole point, like, we know that Niles' motivation is, I want to keep Daphne here. I don't, the only thing is, I want Daphne to live in the same place with me so I can be lecherous towards her at all times. Yes. Or I can do you be... think, what do you think Martin's uh, motivation is here? I was curious about that in the Cafe Nervosa scene, because he, there's this, a moment, and this is, like, a little bit of a problem I have with this episode, but there's a moment where uh, Martin goes, well, That's it, then, because I'm not leaving Eddie. Oh, of all the horrendous luck. Uh, well, thanks, anyway. I guess I'll just look for a little place. Can't be too small, though, because i got to have a bedroom for Daphne. 
Do you think he's he, baiting Niles? Yes, well, because he knows, right? He knows. He, they haven't. I don't know that they've explicitly discussed it yet. Fraser knows point. because when they're in the apartment and oh, Fraser knows for sure. Because like when Niles is telling him, like, yes, he's coming to live with me. You know, you've had mm-hmm. so much time with Dad. I really want it. The other mm-hmm. thing I love about Fraser is the relationship of like brothers in relation to a father is very mm-hmm. fascinating and interesting. Mm-hmm. And you get Niles Martin stuff, which is rarer because Fraser is mm-hmm. the name of the show. Um, but yes. then as soon as Daphne walks in, Fraser's like, oh yeah, I got it. Oh, like, it's an immediate <laughs> turn. He sees, yeah. yeah. And also, by the way, I have one brother, and and uh, we lived with our father as well. So it's always funny to watch that dynamic. <laughs> yeah. I'm the old, older brother of two, so so it, I, I John Mahoney is playing it. I I feel like he is playing it as if he knows what he's doing. Interesting, because so, I feel like he because the way that he like lays it on is very so he he does he goes well I guess I'll have to find but he kind of just pauses. And I feel like when they're having him knowing that he's messing with people, they give you a little hint it's there. Like more, he, well, and then when yeah. and then when Niles says, "What what does he say?" Uh, oh, he goes, "Daphne can move right in immediately." And uh, they have Martin. He looks genuinely surprised. And then okay, and yeah, then Niles goes, "I mean, you and Daphne." Of I course. guess it's me not being clear of whether or not Martin knows. Mm-hmm. So if Martin does not really like know know mm-hmm. that Niles has a crush on Daphne, then yeah, that's probably more a. It's probably it's probably. Thinning, threading that needle of Martin needs to say this or really hammers to the audience that this is the like copy, this is the add-on. Mm-hmm. But he can't play it up so much that then the audience trips over into thinking he's manipulating Daphne or whatever. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think the problem that I and we can this is <laughs> going to come into play in the second half. So I'll say here. I think one of the problems I have with this episode is that I feel like Martin. I love John Mahoney. He's a yeah. great performer. I feel like Martin is one of the less consistently written characters on this show. Sometimes he's this working class guy who doesn't get it. Yeah. Other times you'd be like, you know what, Frazier, when your mother and I, and he has this incredible insight. And it's not just insight born of wisdom. It's insight into the psychology behind the way that Frazier is behaving. Right. And yep. then other times he doesn't get psychology at all. Other times he's not aware of what's going on. And, and this other little fold to that is that he was a detective. Yeah. So there are times when something <laughs> obvious is happening in front of him where I'm just like, wait, why... Sometimes they give him the superpower to understand why anyone is doing anything. And he yes. is so smart. Yeah. He's so clever. He's not... I mean, you know, the the idea is that they're making fun of Niles and Frazier for being pompous and hyper-intellectualized without being able to apply that knowledge, right? Without being able to use it to actually understand the world. And then Martin is the guy who's not hyper-intellectual. He's educated enough and he's clever and he perceives things. And then I think other times they just make him not get things when it's easier for him to not get things. Yeah. And, and I feel like in this episode, he's pretty surface level. Like, he doesn't yeah, have a lot of understanding of what's going on. Well, it's on. weird, like, there's a... He's surface level in how he is looking under the surface. Okay, <laughs> yeah. A, because 11 minutes in, we hear an, yes, off, exactly. an off-screen scream. Uh-huh. Like I told you, brother, there's simply no reason for me to stay as long as your father's so strong and healthy. Yeah! Oh, dear God. Ah! Oh, my God, Dad! Oh, you were right. Yeah, what happened? And then Martin is like, Niles kicked the cane out from under him and he fell down the stairs. Mm-hmm. And and then also, like, to put, to put all these back to back to back is then uh, Martin tries to sit down in his chair and Niles, actually, like, left his garden shears there. 
And then, like, later, Mar- uh, Niles is showing him the, like, bathroom rail that he put on so he can help get out. And then Martin, like, leans on it and, like, collapses. And then he- Niles is like, also let me know when you're taking a shower because the dishwasher can interact with it and you could get scalded. Right, there's all these little things that sound ominous, like yeah. Niles is finding a way to... And I still don't buy that Niles would install anything himself. He says right, his contractor's out of town, but you know he would have begged Fraser for his contractor. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other... So that, is, that one part is <laughs> suspicious, I will say. So, so he... So then Fraser is like, it's seems like Niles might be subconsciously trying to hurt you so that therefore Daphne has to stay because we know Niles wants Daphne to be here and the one way to get her to stay is to make Martin less well. which is the other I I will say like I love this episode. I think it is hilarious and I really love it when Frasier goes really I can relate to Frasier and I love Frasier because he gets stupid farce. I do not Mm. like realistic Frasier. I do not like, like, highfalutin Frasier. I love it when you realize Frasier is Three's company with opera references. Right, Because that's when I feel like it is coming down and meeting me on my level. I guess it's a residual child shit. Mm -hmm. As a kid, I always thought Frasier was talking down to me and making fun of me. So I was like, no, no, no. But as an adult realizing, no, the show is making fun of the opera references sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that the show tries to establish, and it's in the themes song and it's in the the basic premise in the beginning it does not always do well is that Niles and Frazier I think when we see more radiotherapy in the first few seasons it actually works better because we need to see them giving good advice Niles Mm -hmm. and Frazier are good at their jobs the radio sometimes less so but they are good psychiatrists but the dynamic the dichotomy that they established almost immediately in the beginning is that they don't they can't apply it to their own lives. Yeah. They don't like, take real their own people, advice. Like, they don't know how to deal with Daphne, Roz, and uh, Martin. Right. Well, not only that, and but Eddie, Niles has... Un- Eddie, who is great. Right. They should all love Eddie. That's right. the, I do not understand why you wouldn't want that adorable, amazing dog living with you. <laughs> well, more importantly, at no point does Fraser go, why do I resent this dog, right? Yeah. Niles has obvious, undiagnosed OCD and germophobia, yes. right? Yeah. Like, yeah, he, yeah. like, that's one of the first things we see about him is him wiping down a chair. It's in the first episode. Yeah. And so we know that the premise is supposed to be, here are these psychiatrists who can see all these problems in other people, but they can't see their own neuroses. And I think some episodes do that really well, and other episodes don't really establish, like, yeah, that's why they're acting like idiots, or, like, that's why it is, like... This really zany plot, yeah, but with like high, like high culture references instead of you know uh, pop culture. Because I really do love the gay panic episode in season like eight or nine, where they go to the opera and Martin, like they think that Martin is gay, and they hook him up with like the the woman that Fraser's trying to date's like mother's Mother, friend, right, or whatever. Yeah. and it's all that like because. As my husband pointed out, is like that whole episode is Martin shitting on opera, and like the show kind of be like opera so convoluted, mm. it doesn't make any sense. But then the ep- the episode is an opera, like the episode has all right. of the, like misconnections, misunderstanding, and like immediate like falling in love at first sight kind of. No bullshit. wonder he understood. He, he, he nailed yeah. that. I didn't even catch that. <laughs> yeah, which because I think we because my husband loves opera, and he oh, yeah, that's important detail. Yeah, he loves opera and has grown up loving opera. And there is a stupid regressive trope in all sitcoms that mm-hmm. if you love opera, you're a bad character, or the character you're supposed to relate to should hate opera. Right. It's a home improvement. Jill loves opera, and Tim, mm-hmm. your your viewpoint character, hates it. It's so stupid and bar. Right. You know, and it it's shitty um but and i will say as a person who was raised not you know, not high class but by educators and yeah. therefore to be intellectual i think that one thing i do like about fraser is that it 
so much of, of sitcom humor is like, oh, you're smart. You're just doing that for the attention. Like, yeah. anytime there's a character that the, they determine is slightly smarter than the average viewer, that person is intelligent. Yeah. For the sole purposes of their own ego. And I want, one thing that I like about the show is as egotistical as Frasier and Niles can be, the source of their intellectualism is not purely ego based. And then oh, the show, yeah. I think the show, Attempts to be intelligent in ways that's not only like I mean, right, like I yeah. said, they they have this great intelligence that they can't apply to themselves, and yeah. it shows that hypocrisy. But I don't, I I feel like any other time you see a character like Frasier in a sitcom, the whole point is to be like, look at how pretentious look how, uh, yeah. he is, yes, right? Yeah. Don't you hate pretentious people? Don't you feel really comfortable with how stupid you are? Yeah. Cool. Watch this car commercial. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they exist. So we have, we have to remember when they reinforce anti-intellectual tropes that they are... I mean, sitcoms exist to make us comfortable in a lot yeah. of ways. Sorry to tell you the thesis of the whole thing that you do a show about. But <laughs> but sitcoms do exist right, to yeah. make us comfortable. You put them on during dinner and then you, you're you lulled into a, a food coma while you watch a commercial, right? And or if so, you're in the case of me, you have a crippling... You watch... You watch them and get crippling anxiety about how you cannot travel back in time and write for them. There's also Which that possibility. Is my specific thing that I'm working through in my own therapy. Well, but like, but sitcoms being being marketed towards the present day audience yes. are attempting to make the Not present day audience like comfortable. Me. So I uh, like the depiction of high culture without it always having to be. And you still have pompous characters, but it's not like these guys are smart. Isn't that bad? <laughs> yeah. Know? So there's. All this comes to a head, because, like, Frasier wants basically to get Martin out because he has hooked up, like, a lingerie model, has finally called him back, and he, he's setting up a date with her, and there's, like, a night that she's coming over, and he just mm-hmm. wants to be, like, down to clown. He wants to be DTF, he wants yeah. to be ready to woo and screw. Um, and that <laughs> night gets ruined because, meanwhile, over at Niles's place, Martin is now in a fucking, like, panic. Okay, Two-pronged. Martin's in a panic because he's like, my son is subconsciously trying to kill me. They and actually, oh, sorry, he's giving, like, he's getting signals of that. Like, Martin is not reading in. Like, he's not done reading deep. Like, shit's crazy over there. Well, Niles and has Niles... a really good monologue where he seems like a serial killer. Yeah. I can't let her leave. I just can't. Well, there's nothing we can do about it. I still have a day. <laughs> just have to be more resourceful. Like how? <laughs> it's my problem, not yours. Just have to think. Fresh air. Maybe that'll calm me down. Oh, look at the sunset. Dad, come join me on the balcony. <laughs> Which makes me wonder, like... Because, again, the episode ends with, like, this all gets, like, you know, status quo is restored, and no one ever... How seriously was Niles trying to murder his father? <laughs> is the thing that, like, I love this episode and I think it's great. And as a far as you can get away with this. But still, like, if you want to apply too much thought to it, it's like, he's... How serious is he? Okay. About, so, like, trying to kill yeah. his dad. And I have a couple of issues The episode this. doesn't treat it seriously, which I think is great, but... <laughs> okay. So Frazier says unconscious, not subconscious. subconscious yeah. I'm not a psychiatrist, but I don't know that that's correct. No, I don't. I don't I think that, that, that is an IMDb uh, goof. Oh, really? If you go to the goof section on this episode. I didn't read that, but unconscious mind motivating his actions does not make sense. No. It's subconscious mind that they mean to be saying, which, for a show about psychiatrists... They right. didn't have the internet. Ninety-eight. He's supposed to be a Freudian psych. Well, no, Niles is supposed to be a Freudian psychologist. I believe uh, Fraser is a Jungian yeah. psychologist. By season six, they should have this shit on lock. Yeah, you there should. should be like your writer should know. I mean, that's 
I know that. Yeah. I didn't study any of this stuff. I like, like, if you're writing, you should know at least the basic fact. Yeah. Anyway, so that's a, a minor mistake. But again, coming back to the fact that Martin is a detective, right? Yeah. Like, this is not his first... Rodeo? Well, it's not his which first is exposure. Which the tape that starts off the whole episode. Oh, yeah, Rodeo, Rodeo Bloopers. Bloopers. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, the first argument is that Ray Fraser taped over Martin's VHS tape of rodeo bloopers, and he's furious yeah, about Martin that. Martin is so my dad at times. Yeah, that's pretty amazing that detail. But no, Martin's a detective. It's not the first time he's been confronted with the concept of ulterior motive, yes. of subconscious motivation, probably of could someone have done something. I mean, this guy's been on multiple murder cases. Oh yeah, like could someone have done something without thinking it, without doing it on purpose, like. That's not a new concept. It should not be a new concept. No. However, in this episode, he it blows his mind. He becomes obsessed with this idea that Niles could be subconsciously or unconsciously uh, trying to yeah. kill him. And it's like, you don't think that he's ever been exposed to that kind of concept before? He's acting a lot like Shaggy when he should be acting like Velma. <laughs> yeah, he should be more skeptical. He should be much more measured. Because I mean, a, lot of, a lot of Martin in this episode, again, I love John Mahoney mm-hmm. uh, and so deeply. Uh, but he's a lot of like, yo, 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 links! Like, yeah, oh, well, that's well, the thing. Well, but there's a great moment where he's like, you sure you don't need a hand? Just keep moving. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, where, where he when changes Niles, tone very quickly. Just keep moving. When, like, Niles offers to help him down Right, right, he won't it. take help from Niles. I think, that's what I was saying earlier, I feel like Martin is inconsistently written, and John Mahoney just rolls with the punches. It's great. like, is this a wacky episode? All right, I cool. can do that. I can do that. Is this insanely heartfelt, all of a sudden, I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have to give the monologue that the episode's about? Should have yeah, won the that. Emmys. So, the Fraser, so, meanwhile, at Fraser's place, like, Fraser, this episode really does contain all my major questions, because, again, like... How sexy... Is your question, does anyone, why does anyone find Fraser attractive? I mean, I can understand. Being a gay man who has a specific type, I can mm-hmm. understand why a certain subset of gay men could find mm-hmm. Fraser attractive. Because, okay. like, dude is, dude's hairy. Like, dude's got a great, dude's, Fraser's got a great chest that he fucking shows off in, like, one out of every three episodes. There is a There's lot. So... I always wonder if Ch- Kelsey Grammer, by season two, was like, I'm only coming back if I can be shirtless, like, a fifth it's, of the time. It is. All the time. It yeah, is, it's it is really frequent. A solid, like, out of the 200 and he's episodes. he's really sweaty a little bit. Too. I would say he's probably shirtless in a solid 100 episodes. <laughs> There's, like, 250 so episodes. much airtime. I think so. It's crazy. And I'm also including just him wearing a robe and nothing else. Yeah, which is that's also plenty a lot. of chest, yeah. A lot. Um, but again, it there's, there's a lot. Okay. So a lot of sitcom plots hinge on the lead being sexually desirable in order to get to predicaments. Mm. And so sometimes shows cast sexy people in those mm. roles, and so therefore it's believable. Um, if women did not find Frasier sexually mm. attractive, that cuts off so many plots. Right, you can't just do so, 14 episodes without a date episode. And there, right. there is like one stretch in like season 7 or 8 where it is like Frasier has like a drought or something. Yeah. And they may make it clear that it has been a while. But then like Frasier but only the most ever part, gets model. It's like mo- it's like models. Yeah. It's beautiful women. So it's this weird thing where he has the, I guess, some degree of cash as being a celebrity. Right? Yeah. Like he is famous in so much as he's on the radio. He's on billboards and he's a well-known uh socialite too he's a he's an intellectual about town so these people who tra- wonder, travel in those circles i'm not a, saying that's good or real but this is, this is how they I do sell a it to survey us. of all my straight female friends is and ask, like it, because it's another thing of pop culture and our culture will tell us like well, women only find george clooney attractive right i don't know women actually there might like women might find kelsey grammer 
Circa season six of Frasier. Mm-hmm. Definitely not one and two where he has that weird mullet, that weird like long bald. It is mullet. interesting how much hair he has in the beginning, and then yeah. they tighten it up as it goes on. Yes, and that's where he looks. There's a season of Cheers where he also has a beard. He has short hair and a beard, and it's like really? that's great. Like yes, why get that look back? That's a good Kelsey Grammer hmm. look. Uh, and I'm also colored by just knowing that Kelsey Grammer IRL is a fucking maniac. Oh yeah, he's terrible. Well, I mean, well first like his father was murdered. When he was a teenager. Oh, I did not know that. Because I, when John Mahoney passed, like, Kelsey Grammer's reaction to it was like, oh my god, I will cry saying, like, you were my father, I loved, he was wow. my father, I loved him. Jeez. And then I looked up, like, what was Kelsey Grammer's relationship with his real dad? I was like, oh, his real dad was murdered when Kelsey Grammer was a teenager. Maybe when Kelsey Grammer auditioned, when Kelsey Grammer auditioned for Cheers, he was living in his car. Kelsey wow. Grammer is also a, like... He's an alcoholic and a drug addict, and he... And a Trump supporter, I believe. Uh, he's a Republican. And there's also... There's, like, a season of Frasier where he they write they wrote him, him out as going to, like, a conference for a couple episodes because after the success of, like, the first three years, they gave Kelsey Grammer a Lamborghini or, like, some sports car that he then, like, got drunk and just crashed, and they, like, forced him to go to rehab. That, I remember that, because there's, like, two episodes that he's not yes, in, and, and I was like, oh, something happened here. because they forced... And he's not Kel- pregnant, so... yeah. yeah. <laughs> When a man is not on a show, it's mostly they are in a rehab. Yeah, there's like, that happens in sitcoms a lot where you'd be like, huh, her cheeks are especially round this episode, and now she's not in the next three episodes. Yeah, and you're like, yeah. Oh, and they only shot her like from the from the neck up. I just noticed that, that. just happened uh, on Will and Grace. Uh, Deborah Messing is pregnant, and for a couple episodes, she's just like out of the country. Yeah, and they do that a lot. So yeah, so Kelsey. So when I look at Fraser, I cannot disassociate him from just knowing that Kelsey Grammer is like. <laughs> Kind of the opposite of Frasier. Yeah, that's so strange. <laughs> that's like good on Kelsey. Kelsey Grammer's a great actor. I mean, because I would have never known any of that shit if I didn't dive into. Yeah, the no, I didn't. I didn't know most of that. I mean, I only know his current kind of gross political and public presence, no, which I'm not, not a fan of. But yeah, always been a little bit like of a maniac. Uh, so the so like he is preparing for a sexy night where he has like the fire going. He's like turning on the music. <laughs> Here. We gotta talk. Can I tell you what I wrote down? So I watched this episode the first time I watched this, uh, which was late last night, and I just noticed my note here is one of the worst parts about the show is imagining Kelsey Grammer as a sexual being. <laughs> yep, <laughs> it really is. Yep, like I think it might actually be a testament to him as an actor, and I may be saying Frasier as a sexual being, but anytime Frasier's like setting the mood or like getting yeah. into sexy mode, it is the most revolting thing I can imagine. I do, I'm so uncomfortable I with it. I think the show, I think this episode knows it is over the top because it keeps getting undercut. It's undercut like three oh yeah, times. and they have him being like he's like like rolling his shoulders back. Yeah. And like, he's putting on the cheesiest like soft jazz music, like oh. dimming the lights. Like I think we're supposed to know that this is his cheesy seduction routine. However, I still don't enjoy watching it. It still genuinely disturbs me. I feel bad for the lingerie model just showing up to this, like, ineffective sex trap. Like, I feel like she'd walk in and be like, this is weird. Yeah. And she is inexplicably way into him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so, like, basically the episode ends with, like, like, they... Niles does not want... Martin does not want to leave the apartment with Niles. So, like, go down the elevator and shift. So, like, Martin and Daphne go out first. Fraser's talking to Niles, and then they hear another scream from outside. And apparently, like, Daphne has 
unconsciously kicked the cane mm. out from under Martin. And Frazier, right before this, says... Please, Niles, surely it's occurred to you that your desire for Daphne is forcing you to behave in very strange ways. Or do you shove Dad down the stairs every day? That was an accident! Oh, Niles, any psychiatrist worth his salt knows that there are no accidents. No one would do something like that, however unconsciously, unless they stood to gain from it. Ah! Oh, and then we find out that Daphne did the exact same thing. Yeah. So are they implying that Daphne... Who's been crying over the change, doesn't want to leave. She doesn't want she, she first motivates it, but then she's back at Fraser's crying, ruining his date. One by one, they all show up. And he thinks it's going to be the, the lingerie model every time. And Daphne shows up crying, and then they're all back in the apartment. She's crying again because she's like, we're all back together. Like, she's clearly having regrets about this. So I guess they're implying that she subconsciously doesn't want to leave yeah. doesn't want doesn't want the status quo to change which is very convenient for a sitcom and she just she doesn't <laughs> want the set to change and so she has now subconsciously injured martin in, yeah. or, in order to be necessary in his recovery process and while fraser is like trying to get all them out of the hallway because it's like this laundry model's coming the elevator door opens as Fraser is yelling at an old man on the ground screaming about his hip and uh, the model sees it and is disgusted rightfully. Yeah, she's like... Well, then he, like, doesn't he, like, try to duck in the apartment, like, turn on the music on? He turns the music on and he's like, oh, hey, I didn't see you yeah, there. Yeah, it doesn't work. Just, he makes a bunch of very uh, yeah. ugly faces, but, uh, <laughs> just, like, like, like distraught faces, but... But then, like, tries to turn the seduction routine back on and obviously it fails and obviously... Work. Uh, was Rebecca show, shows up is hot for 10, 20 seconds at most and then <laughs> leaves. leaves and then the episode ends with the, uh, Martin moving back in and then we get the the end credit scene of like a slow pan across everything oh, yeah. going on you see Eddie's walking around the table again like he was at Niles they're moving the chair back in yeah. and Frazier is standing there with his like head in his hands they, well, no, there's one more thing before that which I actually really like is one of the better parts of this episode which is that so they basically set it up. Fraser's life is perfect now. Yeah. Uh, he's gotten rid of his dad. He has, he's got this date with a lingerie model who seems really into him. He's listened to her voicemail twice, I yeah, believe. There's, so a, there's a scene where he just listens to it. And, while and, drinking and it While drinking yeah, sherry, sherry, in sherry. fact. <laughs> and um, he, I think they kind of set this up where like he finally has gotten exactly what he wants. And then he's waiting he's set up the perfect date and then martin shows up and then daphne shows up and then niles shows up like one by one they sort of ruin it and then it all falls apart when the model shows up and see, and out of context sees him yelling at martin and leaves and there's this moment where they're like gonna move back in and he's like just give me a second and he yeah. like sort of like <laughs> staggers back into the apartment and grabs his glass of wine that he was gonna drink and he just sits in a chair and he's just like he looks on his face like just he's seen something horrific or something, yeah. and he's like gasping, and then he's just like, "All right, bring him in." Yeah. <laughs> oh, and it's a long, slow zoom in on yeah, Fraser's face. It's a lot. They don't do a lot of like motivated camera moves in the yeah. show, also. And I, I almost wonder because I don't know. I meant to Google this. Is that a reference to something? The "All right, bring him in" line. Oh, I mean, seems... it might be from Dial In for Murder, which I've never seen. Oh, okay, because there is this, like, long, slow zoom into Fraser's face, and then he says, all right, bring him in, yeah. and then Martin comes in. That's a great moment, yeah, and then it goes to the sting there. Ah, <laughs> uh, what an episode. Yeah, and Kelsey Grammer, Grammer, to his credit, really does sell that joke. Oh, yeah, I mean, they're, it's an impeccable cast. Uh, you ready for some must-have facts? Yeah, sure. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. <laughs> They're calling again. Good night! 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The ratings for this episode, 25.7 million people watched this episode of Frasier. Wow. That's a lot of people. Uh... For some reason, I googled like a madman to try to find the weekly Nielsen ratings for the week this aired, which, it's 1998, should be readily available. The site that I get all these ratings from, it ends the week before this episode aired. What? So Sounds only... like a conspiracy to me. Yeah, I hate it. Um, so I only have season rankings. So for the season, for the 98-99 TV season, the top five shows, get ready for this. Number five was a tie between Jesse and Veronica's Closet. Okay. Uh, number four was Monday Night Football. Number three was Frasier. Two was Friends, and one was ER. That uh, is... ER, yeah. So, uh, the NBC Thursday night must TV lineup at that time was Friends, Jesse, Frasier, Veronica's Closet, and ER. So that is the entire must-see TV lineup. Wow. And Monday Night Football. And, and Football, which I guess is a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like it should be a different category. Yeah. But yeah, like, that's... It's so fascinating to me. Like, this is... This is the first year without Seinfeld because Frasier like moved in to fill that void oh, right, I remember okay. there being so much speculation it's like what could possibly fill Seinfeld's Thursday at 9 you know anchor slot and I remember reading like Entertainment Weekly articles about like it could be this new show Will and Grace like it could be oh, Third yeah. Rock from the Sun which I think it started and they chose Frasier and I feel like okay I'm now reading I feel like at that time I might have been... Te- I was definitely team... I loved Third Rock from the Sun, so I might have also hated Frasier that it took Seinfeld's <laughs> slot from... From, from like, potentially what one entertainment writer said could have been Third Rock yeah. from the Sun's yeah. time slot. Curse. Or like News Radio. Like, yeah. If News Radio had gotten that slot, who knows what it could have... I mean, it could have also just tanked the Thursday Night lineup because... It might not have worked. It <laughs> probably wouldn't have worked. But yeah, it is interesting. Frasier does seem like... Like, Seinfeld, I, mean, I don't know, you watch Seinfeld, especially early seasons, the thing, I, you know, I did a rewatch of that recently, too, <laughs> watching Seinfeld from the beginning is not another show that's very different in the first three or four mm-hmm. seasons than the rest of it when it gets very zany. Um, it's a, it's a really New York show. I think yeah. Going back and watching Seinfeld being like, whoa. My first trip and, to and New York. And I watched it with my girlfriend, who's from Iowa, and she was like, oh, I, like, these are, grandparents are like... This is just like what grandparents are like, and I was like, "This is these are all Jew jokes." Did you not catch? Like, no, it's like very it's, different. It's so experience. insane that like I'm from Murfreesboro, Smyrna, Tennessee, and we loved Seinfeld. Like there was something about it. But I mean, like it took like the thing is like it was so New York that it just took a long time to catch on. But then by mm-hmm. like season five or like season five, 
I guess like Kramer's Universal. <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean, I know it's a weird neighbor, but it's, it's in a city, it it's in so... an apartment building, it's young, you know, it, it's about a comedian for the most, I mean, it definitely, yeah. definitely moves away from being about a comedian as it goes on. But it on, is so, but... I mean, when, my first time to New York, when I visited New York when I was a senior in college in 2005, mm-hmm. like summer before my senior year, I literally, I took photos of every Seinfeld thing I saw. Oh, yeah. It's like our store Indian, a black and white cookie. <laughs> Did Things you go to Tom's restaurant? <laughs> yes, we went up there. Yeah, I went up there, took a photo of that. Like, I was like, where's all my Seinfeld shit? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, well, that's what's so funny about it is that, I mean, I guess that's what I'm saying. It's not so crazy because Seinfeld is a very New York show, but New York is, it's the reality of so many movies and so much media that it's not yeah. as crazy to have something set there. Frasier does seem like this outlier where it's like, oh yeah, that would be a great, like, after the popular sitcom, like, it's an acquired taste. It takes place in Seattle. It's yeah. about intellectuals, but it's actually People, really funny. I mean, I'll tell you, like, it doesn't seem to me like a, like that's the powerhouse sitcom that everyone in America is going to love. It you nearly know? worked. Be- well, because, like, Friends had ascended to this place where it could now carry the entire night. And so, like, right. Friends is the number two show. They could have stuck anything there. It was probably going to be okay. And, like, Frasier was, like, good enough hit. I mean, Frasier's the number three most watched show of that year, which is, frankly insane. That's pretty crazy. I mean, this is also in an era of TV ratings where, you know, what you say, 25.7 million, million people watch the show. Imagine getting that kind of ratings today. It's impossible. But this is, I mean, like, let's get into my, like, therapy like time. like a mid-season uh, where I, like, episode. I, w- I would kill to be able to travel back in time and be able to write for a show that did 24 episodes a year that were watched by millions of people and then you got paid. That's uh, insane. Just It'll never happen again. It no. can't ever, which is why I feel like, uh, why am I even doing anything in my life? Well, there, are, there are still sitcoms that run 24 episodes a season and they, and, and they pay a garbage. lot, but they are, yeah, they are. Which I mean, of, like if I could figure out the way to make them good again. Yeah. Or, uh, or some of them have just been on the air for 20 years. I mean, like you've got the Simpsons is still running. You've got yeah. shows like that that are like, yeah, they do a ton of episodes every, every season, but they're kind of holdovers. And like, yeah. you think about what's a good sitcom network that's been introduced in the past 10 years that has stayed Well, multicam. Because I think like, there's a lot of good single cam ones. Your yeah, Fox yeah. New Girl, like 30 Rock. Uh, I mean, even currently, like, Great News is great, Good Place is great, but again, those are single cam. And I'm like... Well, also, Good Place is like 11, uh, 13, oh, episodes yeah, 13 episodes a season, which is a very deliberate choice, I think. Yeah, that, they, that they still try to run in the, like, September to May run. Right, just, right. Know, like, just air all those in one half of the I know, run. I know. It's, it's a little strange. Um, but yeah, that reality has, especially ratings-wise, right, has, has has really... So, IMDb, uh, 378 IMDb users give this an 8.6. For a Frasier episode, as someone that's seen, like, all of them, do you say, do you think an 8.6 is a... Would you go higher or lower? Is that on the money? I would put this a little... I would put this a little lower. I think some Frasier episodes... I had fun with this one. The performances are good. It's very all... Like, like yes, the joke is that it's like a murder mystery, that Niles yeah. is going to murder him, that it's all this crazy thing. Never really comes to fruition. There's this secondary plot about Frasier finally getting his perfect life. I, I was also wondering, like, I don't know... Do you think Frasier is trying to torture Niles when he brings over the squeaky toy? Oh, and the definitely. Chair? Oh, yeah. Like, it's, that's, so, okay, so here's the thing. There's a lot of stuff that's, like, textual but is never really, like, underscored in this that I thought, like, you know, maybe if you watch this in the context of the season, Frasier and Niles' rivalry makes it very clear why, why Frasier yeah. is doing that. It makes it very clear why Roz would screw Niles over that way. Um, but this one, it's a lot of fun, and it's this, this sort of, the metaphorical relationship is the murder mystery, right? Yeah. Niles is the murderer. Um... And, you know, uh, Martin is the victim or something like that. And it's fun to watch them play that game. It's fun to watch them act that out. That said, there are Frasier episodes that are, A, more wrapped up in... I think if you look at the first three or four seasons, the rapidity of the wit and the... You know, it's always like 
high culture reference, but that's not what's so funny about it to me. It's right. the incredibly tight joke writing. I think that's slowed down a bit by now because now they're having more plot episodes, yeah, motivated yeah, yeah. episodes. Like this oh, is more of a physical comedy. Yeah, like, it's so, so and it's in the, like I said, the performance is still good, but I feel like the writing in an earlier episode is a lot tighter when it comes to like someone says something, someone says a double entendre on that thing, someone else says a double entendre based on that double entendre, and then someone else says a third joke that connects all three of them to the original non-joke line. Like, that's a hard thing to write, and there's a lot of that in the early seasons. So I was kind of missing that. And the other thing that I was missing is that, like, I I didn't hate this episode by any means, but I I think some of their episodes are very good. And, uh, like, another one is that uh, it's not quite a farce. Like, we know that some of the characters, like, Niles knows why he's doing it to move Daphne, and we know that Frasier knows that that's why Niles is doing it. You and I disagree, maybe, on whether Martin knows, but it's, it's kind of up in the air. But they never leverage that right. information. There's never a scene in which two people thinking they're talking about the same thing talk about two which different Frasier things. Loves to to they do. love those, but that, but that's the thing. Those <laughs> are my favorite. Fra- like that. There's a, one of those Christmas episodes, yeah. which is when Niles is between Daphne and Maris. He's with the uh, Mel, the, the yes. plastic surgeon, and. You know, Fraser knows that Niles is in love with Daphne, and, and there's a lot of someone saying her, meaning a different person. And I think some of their plots, uh, this is just basically a basic analog to a murder mystery. Some of their plots are these intensely written, like, manners play style farces right. that are, that are, that you do this whole multi act farce in the course of a 23 minute episode. And so for me, the bar is set high as to how you can plot a Frasier episode. So, you know, I might put this one closer to an 8, uh, yeah. seven, seven, high 7. I, I'll go 8.6 just because I love a good John Mahoney episode. Well, that's hard that's to say. Uh, who would you say had the must-see performance in this episode? Well, I think that, you know, again, they don't give him a ton of depth in this. I think John Mahoney, in the section, it's very silly, but accepting the episode for what it is, the section in which he actually seems to think that Niles is trying to murder him, yeah. his reactions and his phases are very funny. Like, yeah. he, he, his physicality is great. Uh, and then my second one, and this is almost always the case for me with this show, is David Hyde Pierce. He's yeah. my favorite performer by a long shot on the show. Um his body language, just the discomfort in the way that he runs, the, the sort of holding his back stiff and his arms out. Yes, and... oh, he's so good in this. There's that one line where he, you, you hear Martin in the distance say, like, uh, what is it like? Help me, I'm desperate. Niles, which wall should I hang my swordfish on? None of them! I just had that room frescoed! <laughs> yeah. He runs off, like, the way that he moves. His arms are so stiff, and he's like... Yeah, oh, it's yeah, so it's funny. And then when he has that, like, I can't, her to, I can't let her leave, like, the serial yeah. killer break, he plays that so well that, uh... I mean, you watch the show, and obviously it's, it's easier to like a side character because we don't have to dimensionalize them as much, and you often go, well, that guy's really the best actor, but maybe yeah. he wouldn't be as good as a protagonist. Yeah. We don't know. In the, yeah. But I do feel like watching this show, Kelsey Grammer is a good actor. David Hyde Pierce, I think, is a, is a tier above. He's like yes. a Shakespearean actor. Yeah, he's and he's great. He's really brings so much, especially when the character is conflicted. When you see Niles having to say something that he doesn't mean yes. is one of my absolute favorite things to watch David Hyde Pierce do. And, <laughs> and there's a good amount of that in this episode. Yeah. Uh, I'll give my MSP to Eddie. <laughs> he's so good. He's, he's such so a good. good boy. Honestly, every time I see him walking around on the tables, <laughs> so I funny. die. I love Eddie. Must other people see this episode? I would say, I mean, like, okay, there are definitely Frasier episodes to see that aren't this one that are, like, better or, like, uh, good. But I do think, like, if you're going to run through, like, your top, if you're going to watch ten Frasier episodes, Mm -hmm. I would make this one of them. I would recommend that. All right. Uh, I would do that. 
I would I would say it's a good one. I prefer I I would I would say you you should watch uh go go to season one, watch Miracle on Third or Fourth Street, which might be my favorite Christmas episode, or the Christmas farce episode that I was talking about. Yeah. Watch both of those. Watch um uh what is it? My Dinner with Niles, the season one finale, where yeah. it's kind of him reflecting on the whole first season. And yeah. I also like you know Room Full of Heroes is great, which is a costume party one. Oh, the one we were just like talking a about. Later yeah. one, like um, that's a good late season episode. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I don't know if I put this top ten. It's not bad. It's not what I like out of Frasier, right. which is really dense joke writing and 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 uh, good use of dramatic irony. Yeah, I think if you want to see like Kelsey Grammer and John Mahoney and David High Pierce giving really good performances, mm-hmm. go for it. Um, so let's move on to my new uh, Ooh. my new segment that is just taking the nation by storm. We're going to be talking about a sitcom really briefly from the great TV sitcom book by Rick Mitz, published in 1983. For context, this book ends right as Cheers begins. Okay. And therefore, it has a whole lot of little one-season and two-season wonders as capsule capsule reviews. Uh, So we're going to talk about one. Um, And a side note is Rick Mitz has a little saucy personality, so the capsules might have some personal flair, so this is not written like an encyclopedia. Oh, okay. Uh, So when I'm flipping through the book... Just tell me when to stop, and then we will discuss one of the episodes on that page. All right. Stop. Okay, so that is Roto, which is a multiple-page entry. We will skip past that. Where is the very first capsule? So you want to hear about Karen or Love Nest? Oh, Love Nest, please. Love Nest. Okay, so this is the 1974-75 TV season. Love Nest. After a pilot the previous season, this syndicated sitcom... That's a warning sign right there... This syndicated sitcom got underway, but briefly. Florida Freebus, she'd been Dobie's mama on Dobie Gillis, and Bob Newhart's ever-knitting Mrs. Bakerman on his show, played elderly Jenny Ludlow, who lived on a Florida trailer camp. Others in the show, Charles Lane as Ned Cooper, Alice Nunn as Mary Frances, Bert Mustin as Dickie Ewing, Dana Eclair as Mort, and Dee Carroll as Dorothy. <laughs> so that's it. What was the show about? We have no idea. Man, that really did not explain anything no, other than the I cast. Mean, it's so it's just, someone who played the side character on the so, Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. So Florida Freebus, uh, she, I mean, I love Florida Freebus. She was one of the main uh, psychiatric patrons on the Bob Newhart show. I'm really glad that this is giving me an excuse to talk about Bob Newhart. Love that show. Um, so the Bob Newhart show, Florida Freebus played Mrs. Bakerman, who she was at times a like grocery checkout lady. She was, like, in her 60s, and she was always knitting, and she was, everything was nice. She was so pleasant. Oh, uh, okay. So, I guess I in 1974, yeah, I mean, this was during her time on Bob Newhart. Well, this might have been early. Maybe this was right before. She had her own show, apparently, where she lived in a trailer park and had a whole bunch of kooky neighbors, and it was syndicated, so that means it wasn't even good enough to be on a network. Huh. Like, a set, like syndicated before the 80s is, like, this weird Wild West to me. So when I think syndicated, I think like, oh, Baywatch, you know, Star Trek mm. Next Generation. It's weird to me think of, like, syndicated shows in the, like, even less advanced times. So this isn't like, syndication as in a network show hit enough episodes that it could run every day. Well, this it's syndicated, is... like, well, hey, no network wants to pick this up. We're going to just produce it on our, ourselves and mm. just shop it around locally. Ah, uh, I see, I see. So, like, this show aired in, we don't know how many markets. Ah, uh, okay, um, okay. So it wasn't a major network. It yeah. Was, you could have picked it aired on the major local. network, but, like, at, like, 6 p.m. or 11 p.m. Right, or, like, right. whenever. That's weird. From your yeah. local, right. Broadcast. So, yeah. I mean, would you watch a show starring an old lady in a trailer park? Because that's really all we're going off of here. If I'm at, like, the doctor's office, you know, <laughs> a waiting room, like, you know, if uh, Kung Fu the Legend continues or whatever I was watching on TNT has gone to commercial. Yeah. 
So yeah, that did not, I mean, that definitely didn't last long because she, oh gosh, <laughs> that was a real spike. Really, she really ended shut the up book on her. Harsher. Yeah. So sorry, Love Nest. Also, that's a weird title, Love Nest. Is her trailer the Love Nest? Yeah, I was a little, I was hoping it would be a little more erotic than the way you described it, which was a list of the actors who were Yeah. <laughs> also, I didn't recognize any of those actor names, no. which is uh, Florida Freebus. I definitely know Burt Mustin. No clue. Anyway, thank you so much for coming about coming out and talking about Frasier with me. This was fun. Where can people find you on the internet if they want to talk to you about Frasier? And what else can they find you online? Oh, easy. Uh, so I'm on Twitter at Nat Towson, T-O-W-S-E-N. And if you are on the internet, coincidentally, uh, as Brett mentioned earlier, I'm a writer and editor at Botnik Studios. And what we do is we use predictive text and other technological writing tools to write comedy and often parodies. And... Particularly, one thing we've been doing is we've been training predictive text algorithms on uh, TV show scripts or comics or movies or things like that. And so that instead of suggesting like your phone would suggest the next thing you're most likely to text, the next word you're most likely to choose, uh, I created a Frasier keyboard made of Frasier, lines of Frasier dialogue. So, you know, if you type Niles, it'll fill in with like, I think we should, or, you know, if you type cafe, it'll type, it'll, it'll suggest nervosa next and latte, the second suggestion and, you know, and so on for several suggestions. So we sort of use these tools to write new versions of the things that we are processing. So, uh, you know, someone else said it's a lot like magnetic poetry, I think, yeah, so, yeah, but, yeah. but with suggestions for the next word you use. So in using uh, only words that existed in the Frasier scripts, we created a bunch of Frasier keyboards, one for each character, and we wrote a new episode. It's about four pages long. (laughs) A new episode in in very serious quotes (laughs) of Frasier. So if you go to Botnik Studios, it's botnik.org or Botnik Studios on Facebook or Twitter, you can see the Frasier episode that I had wrote and edited with a bunch of writers at Botnik Studios. It is delirium <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a little insane it's a pretty surreal Frasier episode but I also I think that it. we get to the heart of a yeah. lot of what you and I have been discussing tonight yep. <laughs> yeah. excellent definitely check that out oh, um, you can listen to my podcast the rate and subscribe podcast uh, make sure you rate and subscribe and you can listen if you want to <laughs> also please rate and subscribe to my podcast too please dear god um, anyway thank you so much for coming out and talking about this this was a great time thank yes. you yes Cheers. Boom. We should should clink, right? (laughs) And that does it for this week's episode of Must Have Seen TV. Thanks again to my guest, Nat Towson, for dropping by and talking about Frasier with me this week. Next week on the show, I will be discussing the Brady Bunch episode, Out of This World. Out of This World is in Season 5. It is Episode 16. That's Brady Bunch, Season 5, Episode 16, Out of This World. You can stream that Brady Bunch episode on Hulu or CBS All Access. Until then, I want to hear from all of y'all. You can go on and tweet your questions about sitcoms to at MustHaveSeenTV or send them to MustHaveSeenTV at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr at MustHaveSeenTV. And if you like what you've heard, rate and review the show in iTunes. The theme song is Patricia's Moving Picture by The Go Team. Thanks to Acast for hosting the show. Thanks to all y'all for listening, and I'll see you next week. I must have seen TV. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.